What is going on, guys, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Rants and Revelations, with me, Alex Rudinger, or Rudy for short, however you want to call it. Uh, what is up? How are you? How you been? Um, it is the 22nd of January. Uh, it is Friday. And uh, it's actually a lot earlier than I normally do this uh, kind of thing. Normally, I do my podcast really late at night, um, like before bed one night. You know, I'll do it at like one or two in the morning <laughs> or something. It's only 10 o'clock right now, so a little earlier than usual. I'm trying to turn a new leaf. Uh, well, not really, but I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more productive a little bit earlier in the day instead of uh, staying up quite as late. Um, I'm not very good at it, though. Even the other night, I went to bed early, you know, which was like 1.30 or something. And uh, But yeah, um, it helped. I, I took a trip, as you may recall from my last episode. I went down to, I, I think I mentioned it. I can never remember what I mentioned in previous episodes, but um, I went back down to ten Tennessee to look at houses with uh, one of the guys in Whitechapel's wives, uh, Karina, she's a realtor, and I know I mentioned that I'm pretty on board with moving down there and leaving Maryland, um, and that has not changed. Um, I'm still pretty much on that tip, and uh, it's just a matter of finding the right place. Unfortunately, we did not find the one. Uh, I was only there for a, a day and a half or so, and Karina took me to see seven or eight houses, um, and... There was one in particular that was uh, pretty perfect. It kind of checked off like all of the boxes, um, except uh, for <laughs> loudness, basically. It was insanely close to other houses. And it was kind of funny, actually, because, uh, I mean, I, I know Karina knows how loud drums are, but there were times where we'd be looking at a house and I think she was like, I think it would probably be all right. And in my head, I was kind of like, I don't know, like, uh, I think it's going to be way too loud for drums, you know? Um, so the one house that I really liked, it was like well within my budget. Uh, it was just great. It was recently flipped. It was like a perfect size for one person. Um, the drum room or the room I would have used for drums uh, was a little bit smaller than I would have liked, but, you know, I've all, I'm also coming to terms with the fact that, you know, I mean, I won't say it's impossible, but I think in the budget that I want to spend, uh, you know, I can't be too, too picky on, you know, the perfect drum room. I definitely am not going to buy a place with a room that's so small that I can't you know, even do any filming or, or anything for drum videos and that kind of thing. I definitely want to have a, at least one room that's as big as <laughs> the basement that I currently uh, film and, and record in. Um, but that room was a little bit small, but still workable. And uh, at any rate, I was concerned about the noise. So I took uh, or I hit up one of the other guys in Whitechapel. You know, I didn't bring any drum stuff with me, uh, but I went down there and uh I, I called Zach and ended up going over to his house and borrowing a snare drum, a stand, a throne, and some sticks. And I we went back to the house, uh, the one that I liked a lot, the next morning. And <laughs> I set the snare drum up in the house and had Karina go outside. And, uh, oh, my God. She took some phone videos. Granted, you know, iPhone video, it's, like, super compressed 
And there was nothing in the house at all to deaden it, you know. Um, obviously, if a house was full of furniture and stuff, it would be a little bit quieter. But nonetheless, it's uh, insanely loud. It was way too loud. And the funny thing was that wasn't even like a particularly loud snare drum. <laughs> it was like a, I don't know, some some cheaper steel snare uh, that Zach had that came with some kit. He recently uh, traded in one of the band's old kits for like some vintage set that he wanted. And um, yeah, so it wasn't even a particularly loud snare, you know, and it was so loud. And I was like, you know, I, this is not going to work, you know. And I even had Karina hit it and I went outside. And keep in mind, Karina wasn't even, you know, she's not a drummer. So she was... She wasn't even playing rim shots. She was just hitting the top of the snare. And I, I like ran down the block and I could still hear it. And I was like, there's no way, you know, we're in like a neighborhood. Um, it would have been nice uh, just because, you know, I, I've had reservations about moving somewhere uh, that is far enough out of a city area where I would basically be on a well and septic system. Um, while I do think a well would be nice in some ways, because like, unless something goes wrong, <laughs> it's free water basically. Um, but that's the thing. If something does go wrong, uh, it can be incredibly expensive. Um, and that's the problem. It's like, you know, I want to be far enough away from other houses where I can drum. Uh, but as soon as you go into that territory, it, it becomes, you know, there are other problems. So, um, plus, you know, while I do want to live, you know, in some sort of isolation, I don't want to be like two hours from everyone I know, you know? Um, so it's, it's trying to find a balance. And, uh, I actually was just looking at some more online and, uh, yeah. Um, I just totally had a brain space where I forgot what I was saying. Um, yeah, we just, I was just looking online for some other ones. That's what I was saying. And uh, there are a few more. Basically, I'm, I'm kind of just on standby now. So what we're doing is we looked at all the potential options that were there. Um, the market is obviously changing a lot, especially right now. People are buying and selling houses like crazy, it seems like. And yeah, I'm basically just going to uh, keep looking online every day. And as soon as something pops up that is, you know, uh, potentially something that might work for me, I'm just going to drive on down to Tennessee again and check it out. And if it's good, if it's the one I, you know, want, or I'll, I'll make an offer and try to get things moving. Um, and otherwise, you know, uh, I'm just going to keep looking online. And I don't know, if nothing happens within a month, I'll probably make another trip down there, even if there's nothing specific in mind, and just hang out for a few days this time. And uh, just see what pops up and be in the area. But yeah, so that's my latest update on house hunting. Um, there've been a couple changes, uh, with my mother's situation and working and, and us continuing to live here, uh, where it's still kind of in the balance, but it sounds like I won't, uh, like I don't have to rush out. Like I don't have to be out by like next week or anything, um, which is relieving, but, I still would rather uh, get going sooner than later. Um, a lot of stuff with my mom and her job and, and whatnot is kind of up in the air right now. So, um, and you know, I, I'm just ready anyway. So yeah, gonna keep looking, but I uh, am pretty 
you know, I'm pretty set on moving to Tennessee and I'm, I've become really excited about it. Um, yeah, it just feels good. I'm, I'm excited at the idea of, of having a significant change in scenery and living in a different state and area. And I also, uh, quite look forward to, um, being around an area where there are, you know, where all the Whitechapel guys are, you know, I, I got a lot of love for those dudes and, uh, have a lot of fun with them. Uh, and it'll just be cool. You know, like I love all my friends, uh, that live up here. Um, but you know, aside from a noop, I don't really see that many of my old Frederick friends all too often anymore. Although on my drive home, I talked to one of them on the phone and, uh, the one I actually want to have come on the podcast sometime. So uh, we're going to make that happen soon as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love all those guys, but you know, they know I'll always have love for them, even if I'm not living around. And uh, I don't know, I'm excited at the idea of, of heading down that way and, you know, starting a new chapter of life. So that's the latest update on that. Um, just going to keep on searching. And uh, I figured I'd do something a little different. Um, while there are some things, you know, I've had ideas to talk about specific things, uh, I figured I'd keep it a little bit lighter today. So what I did instead is I, I screenshotted, you know, like a hundred photos or a or hundred uh, images <laughs> from all these questions I got asked uh, on Instagram yesterday. And it was one of those things where you post on your story and you're like, ask me anything or whatever. And I figured instead of uh, responding to them all there, I would just do it over the podcast because, you know, it's uh, easier. You can have more detail. So I'm just going to kind of play a game of 20 questions with myself. I haven't looked at any of these, um, so I'm just going to look at them now and go through some of them. And, uh, yeah, let's let's give it a try. So, uh Oh, this is my friend Gunter. Gunter, that's uh, what his account name is. You find any tight houses in Tennessee? Uh, well, Gunter, I guess I actually just answered that, but not yet. Um, hopefully, hopefully soon, brother. And I miss you as well. That's Gunter. He uh, Gunter plays guitar, uh, and he's hella sick. He lives here in Maryland. And he uh, was the guitarist for the band uh, I used to have locally uh, growing up and in my late teens, uh, Ordinance. So pretty much all, I mean, Greg wrote some of that stuff, but Gunter wrote the vast majority of, of the parts for those albums that um, you can check them out. They're on like iTunes and Spotify. Oh, wait, actually, uh, speaking of today or like yesterday, well, I uploaded a drum video of one of them today, but today or yesterday, uh, we put out this uh, cover EP that I did um, with Keith Marrow and a number of other people as well. But uh, it's like a cover of these five or six songs. I can't remember how many um, by this old school grindcore band, NASM. And uh, Keith asked me to do it, you know, over quarantine when we were, uh, you know, all stuck inside. And, um, and then Will Putney ended up mixing it, which is awesome. Um, I've never actually tracked on anything that he mixed. So that was really cool. And uh, all the proceeds from it are being donated to a charity. Um, I think the, what is it? Uh, the PDX Protest Bail Fund. So I think that's for, uh, I wasn't really involved in, in choosing the, uh, 
charity. I'm reading it right now. Um, but I believe it's uh, the fund to get to help uh, get people that are have been arrested in Portland uh, from protesting or something. Um, so yeah, basically all the the proceeds of the album are going to that. So you know, basically it was just something we all uh, did for free and to try and support in some way, shape, or form, um, and try to you know do our own little part on that front. And uh, you know that when Keith told me that, I was like, hell yeah! So it's just a little cover EP, but it's really cool. I enjoyed doing it. It was fun. Um, anyway, so where was I? Let's go over some more of these questions. Oh. That's what I was saying. That EP, though, is <laughs> it's on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, I think it's under, I think the artist name is Marrow, uh, if I recall correctly. So um, there's also a link to it in my bio slash link tree um, on Instagram. So you can find it there if you can't find it elsewhere. But I'm pretty sure the artist name on iTunes and Spotify and all those things is like, uh, Marrow, and then the album title is like the Nasm tape or something like that. Uh, so anyway, you can check that out now. It is available everywhere. You can purchase it or you can uh, stream it. So let's go over some more of these questions. Here's a good simple one. Favorite hi-hat and ride. Uh, that is from El Chino Segura. Um, favorite hi-hat? Uh, that's a tough one. I'd say favorite hi-hat. I'd have to just go with uh, mine all 14-inch Byzance traditional medium hi-hats. Um, there are times where I want to use other stuff, but I'd say those are my favorite hi-hats in terms of versatility. They, they work well with just about everything, and more often than not, um, I will be using those hi-hats. So uh, I also used, uh, I really like the 15-inch version of them. I, I don't have a set myself, but Mark Lewis had one, and that's actually what we used on the... Uh, new Whitechapel album were 15-inch Byzance uh, traditional medium hi-hats. So, and favorite ride, uh, that's probably an easy uh, answer. I, I would definitely say my 20-inch MB20 heavy bell ride, which is now uh, the Byzance heavy hammered ride. Um, it's too bad they don't make it in a 20 anymore, I don't think, and that sucks. But I also had the 22-inch version uh, of the MB21 before they rebranded it inside of Byzance Brilliant or Byzance uh, Heavy Hammered. Um, and I, I have one of the Byzance Heavy Hammered 22s as well, and I love I love them both, the 20 and the 22, but I personally like the 20. Uh, and that ride seems to work very well with everything as well. Uh, we considered trying to use a different ride on the Whitechapel album for some of the lighter songs, um, but Mark and I both agreed uh, that that ride worked really well with those songs too. Um, but then it's also like a perfect ride for... Uh, metal the bell cuts through anything and yeah it's a great ride so those are those are my favorites all right let's see what else we got how to stop growing tired of one's own music that is from gans gang gansley big Gruse. man i'm definitely gonna butcher some of these uh, i apologize in advance um i don't really know entirely what this gentleman means to be totally honest um how to how to stop growing tired of one's own music? I don't I don't know. I don't listen to stuff I do all that often. You know, I listen to it when I'm working on it, and then I'll listen to it after I you know hear a mix and and that kind of thing. 
but then I kind of tend to avoid stuff that I've done. Um, so I don't really know. I don't know. Uh, you know, every once in a while I revisit stuff and listen to it. It'll be interesting, actually, with the Whitechapel album, because historically I've always been, like, just someone that really likes Whitechapel and likes listening to them. <laughs> uh, and now that I play it on one of their albums, I don't know, it'll be weird. Like, I don't know, if I guess I might, you know, like, not listen to it as often as I might other Whitechapel albums, because I actually did it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to answer that, um, but I don't. I don't know if I really do get tired of my own stuff in the sense that I just don't listen to it that often, um, if that makes sense. And that same gentleman asked, uh, "What to do against imposter syndrome?" Imposter syndrome. I think I know what that is. But while we're here on the internet, I'm on the internet. Let's go ahead. I want to make sure. that I am, where is it in there? Imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud despite external evidence of their competence. Those experiencing this phenomenon remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve all they have achieved. Okay, that's, that's pretty much what I thought it was. Um, it's more or less saying... Hey, uh, it's when a person basically feels that they're not good or they're fake or whatever. They don't deserve their success when, in fact, those, you know, the people with this syndrome, which is like a mental syndrome, um, do, you know, like people that have worked really hard um, and deserve the success they have. But for whatever reason, they still feel like uh, they don't. And I don't really know the statistics on, on any of this. I don't know, like, how – I don't know if – I've read about it before, but I don't know if imposter syndrome is, like, considered a real, uh, you know, illness. I don't know if it's – I guess – let's see. It says – okay, yeah. So it's kind of like an extension of, of like, depression and anxiety. Um, that's what it looks like. Is It's considered by healthcare professionals anyway. Um, so anyway – how do you how, how what to do against imposter syndrome? Uh, man, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I definitely relate to the idea of, of this syndrome. I just maybe perhaps never put a label on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I often feel that way. You know, I often feel like I'm not as good as other people seem to think I am. And it's, it's taken me a very, very, very long time to be able to be objective enough to take a step back and actually feel like I am good enough, even on the days that I'm uh, not feeling good enough. And that's a hard thing to achieve. Um, and I'm still not always perfect about it. I mean, honestly, throughout 2020 and even so far this year in the last month, um, there have been plenty of times where I feel really bad about my own drumming. Um, the, the one thing I, I think helps me with that is I'm stubborn enough that on some level, I know that even if I feel really badly about uh, my own work or I feel like I'm not living up to the expectation of 
myself or whatever, you know, anything that fits within this idea of this imposter syndrome. Um, I think I'm stubborn enough where I just force myself to do more work anyway. I, I will, even if I'm feeling, you know, really crappy about my own playing or, or my own work and music in general, I, I'm, I just somehow I'm able to force myself to practice, even if I don't feel like it, or even if I don't feel good about it. And eventually, uh, as long as you keep pushing through, you come out of that, you know? Um, and I guess that would be, uh, what I would say in regards to, uh, fighting it, you know, is to just, on some level, you have to understand that, uh, whether there is or isn't validity to how you're feeling, it almost doesn't matter because if there is validity to it, guess what? The only way to improve your playing uh, or improve your life conditions is to work at them and, and get better at whatever your craft is, whether it's drum or drums or anything else. And if there is not validity to those feelings, uh, meaning if you feel like you're a fraud when you're not, um, then, you know, like eventually you'll probably snap out of it, but in the meantime, it's also never going to hurt you to keep practicing and keep working on whatever it is you're doing. So in other words, it's almost irrelevant, you know, when you look at it that way, like continuing to do work for whatever it is that you do, whether there is or isn't validity to how you're feeling uh, is still going to help you. So you might as well just try to push it out of your mind and continue working. I hope that makes sense. I'm not sure, you know, man, I wasn't even planning on getting weirdly existential um, in this conversation, but here we are. Um, so that's kind of what I say, you know. For me, I, I guess one thing I've always been able to do is even when I'm feeling super not good about my playing uh, and what I do, I... Uh, am able able to force myself to keep doing it um, until I feel like I'm I'm okay again, you know. And um, I don't know. I don't know if that's the best way to deal with it. I don't know if it's unhealthy or or not. But uh, man, I'm I'm gonna have to think more about this. I wasn't expecting. See, this is why I wanted to answer some of these questions on a podcast rather than, you know, like I could not have answered this with any kind of helpfulness <laughs> if I was like, I don't know, just doing it on a 15 second Instagram video. Um, so to anyone out there, like in the past where I haven't answered your questions, that's probably why sometimes if a question is too loaded, I'm like, okay, I can't really answer this the way I want. Uh, so I'm just not going to answer it at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, man, you know, I think that you know, from what I understand, uh, imposter syndrome is, is kind of like an extension of anxiety and depression. And, um, those are real issues and, and, you know, more often than not, you know, everyone deals with them at some point in their life, but some people obviously much more extreme than others. And I have indeed not been shy about discussing, um, the fact that I have dealt with them in more extremes at different points. Um, 2020 has not been you know, it wasn't the best year for me mentally, honestly, but uh, I definitely didn't go anywhere uh, like I have been in the past in terms of uh, how bad my mental health has been. Um, I kept it together pretty well. <laughs> so, um, but I guess my point is, um, 
you know, when you're feeling like that, I think the most important thing to do would be to, uh, if you really want to combat it, you need to talk to a, a professional and get insight and learn as to whether or not what you're feeling has validity or not and, and really go go from it, you know, and, um, and, and if, you know, if it's determined that your feelings aren't valid and you're, but you're still feeling them, you know, you need to talk to someone professional about why and try to get to the root of those issues and whether it's like an insecurity that stems from some kind of life experience that you went through much earlier in your life or something major and traumatic that happened, you know, you need to get to the root of those issues and, and try to learn and understand them. That doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, um, but it can be helpful. And it doesn't mean you're just going to automatically, it's not like a switch is just going to turn and you're going to be able to like, you know, completely never have to deal with it again, but it's still going to help you, you know, and, and help you manage it. And that's really, that's really the thing with mental health is there's no cure. I'm not sure that the human condition is, is really, could really allow for a cure. I don't know if, if we would still be human if that was the case, but uh, you know, there are ways of managing emotions and that kind of thing. So um, I hope that answers your question there, buddy. Uh, I definitely went off on a longer rant. I thought I was going to just do like, uh, I don't know, like 20 question kind of thing where I answer a bunch of questions really quick, but I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm not. Uh, we'll just do as many as we can here until we get to like, I don't know, 45 minutes or something. Well, let's see. Would you ever want to record a metal track with you playing everything, guitar, bass, etc.? That is from the Dutch Gentleman, and Gentleman is spelled D-J-E-N-T-L-M-A-N. Of course it is, because why wouldn't it be? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm kidding, the Dutch Gentleman. I'm not trying to disrespect your Instagram handle. Um, yeah, I mean... Would you ever want to record a, tra a metal track with you playing everything? I mean, no, in the sense that I can't play everything. I can't play guitar good enough to record. Um, I can hardly play guitar at all. I don't ever, <laughs> I don't ever do that. Um, so no, but if I could, sure. It doesn't really stop me from trying to write guitar parts. I haven't done it in a long time now, but uh, the second Ordinance album, The Ides of March... Um, that's the band I mentioned earlier that my friend Gunter, uh, wrote all the stuff for, um, you know, like I said, those albums are both on iTunes and Spotify, but, uh, two of the songs on that album I wrote, uh, in their entirety. Um, I wrote them in guitar pro. Um, and then the guitarists like played them and there's one riff actually, uh, I think it's in the song called shadow mask. Let me see if I can pull it up really quick. There's one riff actually that. Gunter, uh, ironically, you know, that we were just talking about him, he always said that it sound, he, he loved that part that I wrote. And, and I was like, why do you like it so much? And he was like, because a guitarist would never write that. Like you, I would never have come up with that, you know? Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, so I wrote Shadow Mask and what other one? Forworn Forsake, tracks five and 13. Here, let me see. I'm pretty sure it's around this area of the song. You guys hear that? Fall 
You know what I'll do is uh, maybe I'll find, I'll take the actual album file and drop it into this session that I'm recording my talking audio with uh, so that the playback doesn't uh, sound bad because right now it would just be... <laughs> so if it sounded really good when I played that just now, it's because that's what I did. Um, but anyway, I wrote that riff and Gunter always really liked it and I thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, so I, I like trying to write guitar stuff. I, I haven't done it in a pretty long time. Um, but sure, I mean, someday if I had a lot more time, uh, maybe I would try again. Uh, but I've been more into like messing around with electronic stuff, um, than, uh, you know, doing guitar stuff. I'll leave guitar to the guitarists, but maybe someday I would also definitely be down to do vocals on something again. Uh, some of you may or may not recall that there was an EP that I did vocals on and, uh, it was, I thought it was tight, but basically... The internet picked it up, and Metal Sucks reposted it, and all the comments were like, you should stick to drums, and it crushed my soul, so I deleted it from the internet in its entirety, and now no one will ever hear it ever again. Uh, actually, a couple people hit me up and was like, what happened to that? Can I get that? And I sent it to them directly, but um, yeah, it was just like this little EP, my friend Greg. Greg also was from that band Ordinance with Gunter. Um, he was like, Greg is like the guy that uh, taught me everything about recording when I was coming up. Um, and in some of my earliest drum videos on YouTube, he was sitting in the background. He lived right close to me. He's my best friend. Um, sadly, he moved out to Seattle when he met a girl and, and inevitably got married. I was the best man in his wedding, which was very, very meaningful to me. Um, but uh, Greg and I wrote you know, he, he was playing in a band uh, called System Divide for a while, which is like the side project band for all the, the singers, uh, the singer of Aborted's side project band, like with his wife, I think, if I remember correctly. And he had written a bunch of songs for System Divide that they didn't end up using. And I was like, what are you doing with these? And he was like, ah, I don't know. And, just, you know. and I was like, can I try writing vocals to him? And uh, we did. And it was just a for fun thing. Uh, I have a pretty good hardcore yell, like... Uh, I was kind of, I can't really do lows at all very well. Um, I can sing okay. I have a decent natural sense of pitch. I mean, I, I was in an all-county chorus in middle school. I was one of two kids to make it. So maybe I'm, I'm okay, but um, we definitely use some auto-tune. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was kind of going for like a, for the screaming bits, I was going for like a hardcore kind of thing. Um, and yeah, the internet just made fun of it a lot. So I was like, all right, well... I will stick to drums and perhaps I will do this again for myself someday. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd ever, you know, go to the effort to try and write an entire EP or album just by myself. Uh, I kind of like writing music with people and, and having that kind of connection. I think, you know, this is obviously subject to change, but I think for me personally, if I end up trying to write any stuff solo from here on, it'll maybe be more in the electronic world. Uh, but anyway, now that I've ranted, see, that's why I can't answer these half the time on Instagram, man. I rant way too much, but that's why my podcast is called Rants and Revelations. So, um, man, I screenshotted so many things and I'm not even through the first screenshot. Uh, when is new music coming out? The Silent Fisherman. That's a very interesting account name on Instagram. Uh, and what do you mean by that? Who's new music? I, I mean... That EP, that Keith Mara thing I did, that NASM cover thing just came out like two days ago. The new Whitechapel album, uh, I don't know. And even if I did know, uh, I, I wouldn't say that 
yet. It's not my place to. So I don't know the answer to that question, but I hope that answers it uh, to some extent. The next question just says, how to get good? And he spelled get, G-I-T-G-U-D. I'm not even going to, I guess, you know, practice. That's how. What else we got? What else we got? Um, What is the best book you have studied to improve grooves and for hands technique? That is from uh, Adorbdo underscore B-L-L, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Um, It's honestly been a pretty long time since I worked out of any specific books, but back in the day, I worked out of stick control a lot. Um, Man, there was another book that escapes me right now. Uh, I don't know. I did for a time also work out of, well, I read both of Mike Mangini's books, which are interesting. I mean, they're more conceptual really than practice. Um, I also, I think, uh, Rhythmic Illusions, I can't remember, is that the Gavin Harrison book? I can't remember. I had a Gavin Harrison book as well that I used to work out of. Uh, in terms of hand technique, I, honestly, I never worked out of many books in general, guys. I, uh, I mean, I, you know, by the time I was, you know, in my late teens, when I was really getting serious about drums, um, you know, the internet was popping off. So I would just get on YouTube and find different videos and, and I would do a lot of time looking at videos of guys and trying to like examine their hand technique and then trying to emulate it and that sort of thing. And that's actually how I really developed uh, my hand technique because when I was a teenager and specifically with my hands, I mean, I use a couple different techniques, but um, my finger technique that I use in a lot of the metal stuff, I saw videos of Hannes Grossman doing it. And then I saw a video, It's it might be online still, it, it would be old as hell if it is, but... Uh, where he kind of describes how he uses his fingers. And I saw that, and I saw how much power he was getting out of it, um, even sometimes on surfaces that weren't too tight. And I was like, that seems like an incredibly good way to conserve energy. And I started investing time into that. And even back then, I don't know, I just assumed like, okay, I can't do this at all right now to get good at doing it. I just need to literally do it. And I would sit there on a practice pad every day, and, and do it. I have a, a finger technique instructional video available in my web store as well that kind of goes into greater detail, well, a lot greater detail on that technique. So um, I'll leave it to that. But I, I guess the only book I ever really worked out of was Stick Control um, and then a couple other random ones, but uh, Rhythmic Illusions and something else. I can't remember what the hell the other name of that is. But yeah, so there, there's that. Um, if you had to play a show, but you can only use one symbol, what would it be? That is from D. Jammerson. D. Jammerson 14. Um, probably a hi-hat, because at least with a hi-hat, it kind of is like, it can be so many different sound sources. I mean, you know, you can play it tight and closed. You can chick it. You can, you know, play it more open. I guess theoretically you could raise up the top symbol really high so it's not even touching the bottom symbol and kind of like use it as a crash. It wouldn't sound very good, but you could do it. Uh, so I guess I'd say a hi-hat just because uh, it, it would probably allow for the most versatility out of all other symbols. All right, so uh, are you left-handed or right-handed? From sudo.u812. <laughs> um, I am naturally right-handed. Uh 
There have always been things that I could do better left-handed, though, and I guess in that sense, I'm sort of ambidextrous. But um, you know, for example, growing up playing sports, I played baseball. Uh, I, I always hated baseball. I'm not a baseball fan, but uh, my dad was really into baseball, and he, um, growing up, always wanted me to play baseball because I could switch hit, and I bat. Uh, left-handed better naturally than I do right by a long shot. Like right feels very awkward to me. It always felt more natural to me. I think in baseball, uh, if you're if you're batting left, you have your right hand on the bottom uh, and it's pulled up to your left side. That always felt significantly more natural to me. But apparently, most people feel the opposite. Um, and same with pool. I shoot pool left-handed uh, very comfortably. I could not do it the other way. Um, and I guess I realized that at some point in my teen years. And uh, then I took it a step further when I was in high school and I decided uh, when I first got really into open-handed playing, uh, I decided to make a very conscious effort to uh, do things with my non-dominant side. So, you know, anything you can think of, brushing your teeth, putting shampoo in your hair, opening doors, eating. I even at one point switched the mouse on my computer uh, to use with my left hand. So the right, and you can change in the settings, you know, the right click becomes the left click and vice versa. Um, I did all kinds of stuff like that just to make a conscious effort to use my non-dominant side even more. And then in my senior year, which was also my junior year, I only went to, I graduated high school a year early. Um, but, uh, I had this, I was too lazy to take the advanced math class. So I took contemporary math, which is like joke math. <laughs> it's like an easy class. Um, and it was so easy that I decided I'd write I do all the work with my left hand because it's not like, you know, the pace of the class was very slow. Um, so I started writing with my left hand in that class. I got pretty good at it throughout that year. And then for years following, I continued to use it for writing as it got better. Uh, but then at some point in my 20s, I kind of gave up on it. I, uh, I haven't written with my left hand now in years. If I did it again, it would surely take some work to be even remotely uh, fast, you know. Um, but yeah. Maybe I'll get more into that again. I don't know. So I guess in some ways you could say I'm ambidextrous or have been, but my right has always been my dominant side. There are always going to be things I do better with my right. Similarly, though, there are things I do better with my left. And I guess I guess for normal one-hand dominant people, that's not the case. Um, but to me, it always was, even with drums, like there are certain things that I do better left lead than right. So... Uh, but yeah, right, right lead, right hand dominant. Um, I definitely feel like I have a better feel when I'm leading with my right side on the drum kit. And that's largely why I kind of have abandoned it to some extent. Um, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but uh, someone once said to me, like, why? We were watching a drummer. I'm not going to name who, but we were watching somebody play. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And they were like, oh, I'd like to see him do it left lead, though. And in my head, I was like, wait a minute, like, why? You know, like, why does that matter? And it was kind of like something clicked in my head where I was kind of just like, uh, there's nothing more impressive to me about someone playing something open-handed. I mean, I got into open-handed playing just because it made more sense ergonomically to me. Um, but, you know, whether someone does something left lead or right lead, you know, the only, you know, if you had headphones on and you had no idea, you know, that they were right-handed or left-handed, or if you took a left-handed drummer that was really good and recorded him, and, you know, for a left-handed drummer, uh, audience perspective panning would be, you know, 
drummer's perspective panning for for most people because most people are right-handed. So if you took a left-handed drummer and just panned it differently, you know, you would think he was a right-handed drummer and, you know, you would never know he wasn't unless you heard him or or unless you saw him play it. So uh, basically, I kind of just came to the conclusion that it doesn't matter as much. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, uh, you know, work on your non-dominant side, but... Um, you know, I just I, I stopped caring about it as much, especially because I felt uh, from recording for so long that I genuinely had a better feel when I was leading with my dominant side, which makes sense, um, at least for most things. So, uh, but yeah, that answers that question. Um, let's see, who is your favorite drummer? That is from Ray Yuda or something. I'm totally butchering some of these names. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, I don't know. I don't really have one favorite drummer. Uh, I'd say my favorite metal drummers. I'll do that. I have a top three. It's been consistently this top three for a very long time in no particular order. They're all just badass as hell to me. Krim, without a doubt. Krim is so badass. Um, and what a sick guy. I love that guy. I've only really gotten to hang, hang out with him once. I've met him a couple times, but we only hung out once the last time I was in Europe, actually. Um, and we, we talk via text periodically here and there, um, but super cool guy and phenomenal drummer. I just love the way he plays. I love his feel. I love the way he hits. Uh, I think he's badass. Him, Eloy Casagrande, who, if you haven't heard of him, I'm not even going to say anything else. He's so sick. Just go look him up because he's fucking insane. Eloy is so badass. And then Dirk Viburen. Um, and that's, you know, part, part of the reason why in that earlier episode when I actually got to have a chat with Dirk, it meant so much to me because he's been one of my favorite drummers for as long as I can remember. So uh, we'll leave it at that for favorite drummer. I'm just going to, you know, put that down as, uh, you know, my top three for metal, at least. Let's see. Not a question, but happy to see you and you are well doing. Last YouTube was a while ago, so we missed you. That was from Jesper underscore drum. Thank you, brother. Uh, I think I knew what you were trying to say there. Um yeah. Well, ironically, I just posted a new YouTube video today, so there is a new one. Um, but yeah, I definitely, uh, uh, there was kind of some confusion in terms of, uh, when we were tracking the drums for the new Whitechapel album, I thought we were going to be doing it a lot sooner than we were. So I kind of put off doing anything else. And then we ended up, you know, continually having to push it back. Um, which only mattered because like, if I had known that I would have you know, maybe film some more new videos sooner and prepared some other stuff while also preparing the Whitechapel stuff. But uh, we ended up doing it later and I, I, you know, we kept pushing it back. And, um, you know, every time I thought, oh, we're pushing it back now, well, maybe I should try to do some more drum videos. And by the time we found out that we were pushing it back, I, I just wouldn't have had some, I wouldn't have had proper time to like learn whatever it was I wanted to record a video for and then also record the video while still, uh, while still, staying prepared for the Whitechapel album. So um, when it became clear that uh, that we had like definitive dates for the Whitechapel album, I was just like, ah, screw it. You know what? I'm just going to put all my focus into making that album as sick as I can. And then I'll start doing some more drum videos again afterward. Um, so that was kind of more the reason why I took a longer break on that. Also, I've just been kind of, uh, you know, distracted with house stuff and trying to figure out some other life things. But uh, yeah, I put up a new video today. I'm putting up another one, the Nil by Mouth cover I did. Uh, I'll probably wait till Thursday or Friday. I read on the internet 
that Thursday and Friday are the best days for upload in terms of how many people are actually online. So I'll probably put those up. I have no idea if that's true, by the way. I just, <laughs> I read about it. Um, so I'll probably uh, upload that Thursday or Friday, but definitely this coming week, the video is totally done. Um, I'll probably go ahead and add it to my Patreon in the next day. Um, so those people can all check it out a couple days early. Um, but yeah, man, thank you. I'm, I'm, uh, I appreciate that you, Jesper, uh, are happy to see me doing well. Um, a little bit stressed out, but all in all, I'd say I'm overall doing quite well. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, man. So this next one, I am JT 666. Heavy metal dude. Hail Satan. Am I right, guys? <laughs> Opinion on Istanbul symbols. That's what he asked. Um, I don't really know anything about Istanbul symbols. I, you know, whenever I hear about that symbol brand, what I think about is the drummer from Mudvayne, Matt McDonough. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, because, you know, back in the day, he was like the only guy in metal I knew that played him. And he very well may be <laughs> one of the only guys in metal that plays him. Uh, so I really don't know anything about them. Um, from what I understand, they're, you know, a very old company. And I would imagine they make all their symbols in Istanbul. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of symbol companies still make their symbols in that part of the world. So I'm not sure what that means, if anything, anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, they seem like a good symbol brand. I think they've been a long, around a long time. It seems to me like they're more made for like jazz more often than not, or, you know, genres that fit more in that world. Uh, but yeah, I don't really know enough about them to say much on them. Personally, uh, you know, I'm a little bit partial to Minel because not only are they sick AF, I've also been with them for 10 years and I love them to death. So yeah. All right. Moving on. Skinwood Beats asks, what's your fave track you have laid drums on? Ooh, I have no idea. Um, I don't think I have a specific track, like one specific track I love more than any other. Uh, I definitely, there are albums I've done that I'm really proud of, but even then I don't really have a, a favorite. Um, the Intronaut album kind of holds a special place in my heart uh, just because like, I don't know, it pushed me really hard and I did stuff on that album that I never even tried to do before, and I wrote really challenging parts, and um, yeah, I don't know. I'm really proud of it. And But then again, you know, the Good Tiger albums I'm really proud of, too, for very different reasons. Those were very much like a, a band, like song effort. You know, we were literally just doing whatever to make the songs cool, and I did manage to also sneak in some <laughs> pretty crazy drums here and there. Um yeah, I don't know. And I'm I'm super excited about this new Whitechapel album. So uh, I really, unfortunately, I don't have a singular song that I like more than others. Um, it's really, that's a hard question, man. I'm sorry, I can't answer it better, but that's the truth. Um, let's see. What accomplishments are you most proud of with regard to your musical career? Uh, that is from Dewey underscore Van underscore Den underscore Worm. Uh, that's a weird name. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, similarly to the last question, uh, you know, I'd say the albums that I've done are some of the most, uh, proud accomplishments. Um, you know, I would say honestly, getting the faceless gig back in the day was a huge personal accomplishment to me. I mean, they were one of my favorite bands ever in high school. I, I wore a faceless shirt to school, like three days out of five in the week, you know, like I loved that band 
planetary duality was like the coolest fucking thing ever to me. So the fact that I was able to manifest my way into being in that band, you know, a West Coast based band, and I'm just over here in Frederick, Maryland, and somehow I got that gig, um, that was very meaningful to me. That was quite an accomplishment. I really felt like I kind of achieved achieved my dream. Um, however, you know, uh, it didn't work out very well. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I joined my favorite band of all time, basically, only to find out that it was, you know, a rather unhealthy situation. And uh, that was very hard to stomach, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm hesitant to share this because, uh, I don't know, it was just another very meaningful thing that someone said to me, but that's okay. Um, I'll share it. Screw it. Uh, Evan Brewer, when I was in The Faceless, um, I can't remember why we were talking about this, but we were in a, we were in a car, actually, um, because it was after The Faceless had hit this moose with our van, and we, we totaled the van. And it was actually funny. We were, uh, we were in a a bandwagon, which is kind of like a bus for anyone that doesn't know what they are. They ride a lot rougher than a bus, but they're, they're cool. You know, I, I would far rather go out on a tour bus, but, um, the bandwagons were all right. And, but basically we went from being in a bandwagon to rental cars because we had the bandwagon. We had like another three weeks of tour. The, the, the driver of the bandwagon quit. And it was like, he had some family emergency or something and we couldn't find a new driver. Uh, it was summertime. Like, so, you know, touring season, like lots of bands were at, we had such short notice. We couldn't find a driver in time. Uh, and we decided to switch into a van. Like the record label at the time, Sumerian had a van in the area or something. And we were like, all right, screw it. We'll switch to a van for the last couple of weeks. You know, it'll, it'll just mean we'll all make a little bit more money, uh, because we're traveling, you know, in a less expensive vehicle. So that'll be good. It'll kind of suck, but oh, well, we'll make the best of it. You know, that was kind of the thought process. And then within the first four days in the van, we hit a fucking moose in Canada. And uh, it was apparently not a full-size moose. Otherwise, I fear that we may all be dead, but it was big enough to total the van. And uh, man, we killed that moose, unfortunately. And I guess the only good thing for the moose was that he probably had the last laugh because the last couple weeks of that tour were unbelievably miserable. Um, you know, we were all mostly unharmed. I think some people were like a little shaken up, but uh, we ended up to finish that tour. We had to rent two separate rental cars and drive ourselves all across Canada uh, for the rest of that tour. And uh, oh, man, that was a miserable experience. But in hindsight, it's kind of funny. At any rate, me and Evan were in a car and... I can't remember why it came up, but he said something to me like, you know, Rudy, if you want, you know, if you want it bad enough, you can definitely accomplish whatever your dreams are. However, don't expect them to turn out the way you had imagined them. And I don't even know if Evan meant for that to be as heavy as like he, it was to me, but like I thought about it and I was like, whoa. That was kind of deep. And years later, I still think about it because like he was definitely right. You know, like the faceless was like that for me. I, I, it was like a dream come true to get that gig. And then, uh, you know, what I thought was a dream, you know, turned out to be this incredibly unhealthy situation. And, uh, it was interesting, you know, it kind of, uh, made me think a lot more about 
enjoying the process of something. And I'd, I'd say it was around that time in my life that I made a more conscious effort to uh, try and enjoy everything that I do, um, even if it's, you know, work and enjoy whatever process I'm doing and try to be a little bit more present. Um, that's always a struggle for me, but it's something I try to practice. And, you know, if you're always, you know, thinking ahead about some dream, you know, you might eventually accomplish it, but when you finally get there, it'll probably be very different than you thought it was going to be. And it might not be as fulfilling. And I think that's what Evan meant. And I think that's why it holds meaning, you know? Um, so yeah, uh, I guess that I went off on a rant, but that is the name of my podcast. So I ain't apologizing no more, but, uh, yeah, I'd say that that was at the time a very meaningful accomplishment for me to answer your question. Um, what do you do when you hit a plateau practicing faster stuff, been stuck for months now? Um, that's a loaded question too. That was from JJ Rautio, And I think O is with a zero. I'm not sure I said that right, but, um, yeah, man. I mean, it's hard to say like, uh, you, it, it, for starters, one thing I really think people don't realize enough is that really developing speed, like developing real speed takes years, you know, like years of training regularly. And that's why all these guys coming out doing fucking double strokes with their feet and triggering their way through shit bum bums me out. I mean, that technique single-handedly made me want to stop playing metal for a long time. Uh, because I was just like, wow, I spent five years of my life locked in a basement doing foot endurance exercises, trying to get my fucking single strokes up to like 220 or 230 BPM consistently. And now everyone's playing 250 and 260 with double strokes. Like it's nothing. And I was like, the genre is getting too fake. I'm out. And that was like a large reason why I decided to, you know, go in a different direction and do good tiger. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day though, doubles have, uh, their own issues. And ironically, you know, one of the things the Whitechapel guys really liked about my drumming and why they were especially excited about me playing with them is because I don't do doubles. Um, and I'll elaborate on that more in the future, but I'm actually going to make an instructional video guys. I'm going to try to capitalize off of how much I hate double strokes. Uh, I'm my next instructional video that I've already started planning out and I'm going to make is going to be called, <laughs> this is my title for it. Uh, if somebody takes my title idea, so help me God, but I'm going to call it death metal, double strokes, how to do them and why I hate them. And, uh, I'm just going to, cause I know how to do it. You know, I, I use it in one Whitechapel song that's way inhumanly fast and totally unrealistic. And, uh, you know, I don't like it, but I've made my peace with it and I get that, you know, that's just the direction death metal and metal, extreme metal drumming has gone in where, Guys have to come up with ways to do stuff like that. Um, but I will always be a singles player at heart. Um, and I only will ever use that technique when and if I absolutely have to. Um, yeah, but I do know how to do it. And uh, yeah, so anyway, back to this gentleman's question. I'm not going to say anything else about that. I'm going to go into like a huge rant in this instructional video, you know, kind of talking about the history of, of double bass and, and why I kind of feel like it's gotten to this point and why, even though I don't like it, I still respect people that do it and, and all that jazz. But, um, so, you know, I'm not trying to hate on anyone that does it, but it's just personally whack to me. So, um, but to answer, uh, this guy's question, you know, he didn't even say feet specifically or did he 
just faster stuff. I don't know, man. You know, speed just takes a long time to develop. I mean, what you also have to keep in mind is that, like, there are different approaches to these things. Like, when I see a guy that plays really fast, I, I mean, it, it it doesn't always impress me. You know, speed in and of itself doesn't impress me. It's, uh, you know, like, I, I've seen guys that are like, yeah, I can play 270, and then you, like, see some guy doing blast beats at 270 where he has to stop and do a little fill that's kind of sloppy every three bars or every three beats and... You know, it's like he's tapping really light. And it's like, to me, well, like, that's not that cool to me. To me, I want to see someone, if they're playing metal and hitting, you know, if they're playing fast and they're playing in a metal context, you know, what what really gets me is like when I see guys play pretty fast, but they're fucking slamming the shit out of their drums. Like, that's why Eloy Casagrande, goddamn, dude, he hits hard as shit. It's so tight. Um, and, you know, he doesn't even do anything, from what I've seen anyway, that's, like, crazy fast. But I would so much rather see him play, like, 180 BPM and slam the hell out of it than see some guy paper tap out, like, 250, you know? Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, speed is it's kind of relative. Uh, there could be a lot of reasons. You have to keep that in mind, though. Like, if you want to, you know, to the gentleman asking this question, if you are a really hard hitter, you might not ever be able to play as fast as you want. And you might actually have to learn to hold back a little bit. I've had that problem for sure, where I, I used to be faster than I am now. And when I look at videos of myself playing like the faceless material, um, I was so much faster back then, but I also hit way lighter. And in that sense, I wouldn't really change anything because I like hitting harder. I like the way it sounds recorded. Um, so I, I don't mind that. It's a trade-off, you know? It's a little bit more of a challenge on some of the faster stuff I have to do now, like with Whitechapel, for example, the few much faster songs that we play anyway. Um, but it's a trade-off that I, I would rather have. So um, you have to think about all that. But, you know, if, if you're doing something to consistently train your speed chops and you still aren't seeing any results after months, now, keep in mind, if it's only been a few months, that's not that long, relatively speaking. But if you've been doing this for like a year and you feel like you're not making any progress, you know, you might need to take a step back as long as, you know, assuming you're not injured as well or something else like, you know, take a step back and look at like what else could be a variable and try to assess it. Um, you know what I mean? Because drums, you definitely get out what you put in. So if you're practicing the right stuff, I think that, you know, you'll eventually get what you want. Um, drums can be challenging in that way. I feel like the most, you know, I've done whenever I do lessons, which by the way, everyone, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll talk about this another time, but I, I'm planning some videos where I like make a whole budget thing with this house. And I kind of want to, I, I kind of want to be really open about the house stuff and, and what I'm spending and how I'm making it work. But, uh, because I think some of the younger guys out there that are kind of trying to do music as a career might appreciate knowing, uh, how or how not realistic, you know, it is. And I, I was thinking about being really open with that stuff. But, um, and one thing, until we start touring again anyway, once I find this house, you know, I have savings, but I'm going to have to start doing a little bit more uh, teaching again, uh, which, as I've said before, I, I don't love doing lessons, but I definitely don't hate it. So I am going to start doing lessons again uh, more often, guys. So if you want to hit me up, uh, feel free. And uh, I think I'm doing one like tomorrow or the day after. And uh, there have been times where I've done, you know, multiple a day every day for a while. And I don't know if I'll start going quite that hard again, but I am starting to do them again. So feel free to reach out. I'm also taking on some session work now as well. Um, but anyway, uh, 
you know, I think that's the thing I go over the most in lessons is people more so like a lot of the time are doing the right things. Like they have the right idea in mind. There just isn't enough time. It, there hasn't been enough time that's passed yet to really uh, let them see any change. And because of that, because they're not seeing the change, uh, they're unsure of whether or not they're doing the right thing. And I think that's the thing I think I've been asked more in lessons is like people will come to me asking something and I'll watch how they play or whatever. And I'm just like, dude, you're doing all the right stuff. You really are. You just need to do it more and for longer, you know, in terms of technique, you know, it's going to take months to develop this or maybe longer. So be a little patient, but it's really hard that, you know, it's really hard uh, for me personally it's really hard to see change when you're right in the middle of it. It's not until enough time has passed where you can, you know, reflect back and see how much you actually have changed. So, um, but I think that's actually a valuable thing. I think sometimes that's what people need is to just, you know, get some kind of reassurance that whatever it is that they are working on is, uh, you know, the right direction. And if they know that they'll keep working. So, um, so, yeah, man, I mean, there are a lot of variables, you know, for this gentleman asking about plateauing with faster stuff. Uh, but if it's only been a couple months and you really have been training regularly, I would say just give it some more time. Uh, remember to take periods of rest as well. And past that, I mean, if you really have questions, feel free to reach out to me and, and uh, maybe we could even do a lesson and I can try and analyze whatever you're struggling with. Um, but anyway, I hope that answers your question. Uh, do you record songs as a job? That's from Inch Winkle. Uh, not strictly to answer your question. I mean, I, I, at varying times I've done more or less session work. Um, but I do occasionally record a song and, you know, that's a source of income <laughs> for me is session work. So, uh, I guess the answer would be yes, but no, if you're asking if that's all I do, cause it's not all I do. Um, let's see. Goddamn. I rant so goddamn much that we're already at a freaking hour. So maybe I'll answer like, uh, one or two more of these and then call it a day. And if I didn't get to your question, well, goddamn y'all, um, uh, I'll, you know, maybe I'll just do another episode in the next couple days, part two of this episode uh, or something like that. Cause I have all these, uh, questions that everyone asked me on Instagram screenshotted and saved. So, uh, so let's see, what do we got next? Um, do you think there is ever an age where trying to learn drums could become too much? That is from up drummer, up drummer us, I think is his account name. Uh, well, what, I'm not entirely sure what you mean by too much, but assume I, I, if I am to assume that you mean like not possible or something, I would say no. I, I think it depends on your goals. Like if, if someone that's like 55 or 60 years old that has literally never played drums before in their life suddenly gets really into drumming and watching drummers and seeing and he, – let's say he gets really into death metal and he's like, damn, this is sick. I want to be a death metal drummer. And he's like 60 years old. Well – I'm I'm not even going to say that's impossible, but I, I think that it would be a very challenging time in that person's life at that age to then try and put his body through learning drums and playing drums very hard and fast. Not impossible, but difficult. 
Um, it also just depends on your goals. I think, you know, like if you, if you're not a full-time musician, then, you know, you probably have some other kind of job that is going to hinder, uh, some of your practice time. Not even necessarily though. I have met people that, you know, are very busy, uh, and, and are very able to have a remarkably good balance in their life, even working a day job and having still time to practice and having a girlfriend and man, I've never been able to quite balance my life that well. It's something I'm constantly working on. Like if I try to do too much at once, I, I have a hard time, you know, like whenever I've been in a relationship, uh, it usually ends up imp impeding on something else in my life and or something else suffers because of it, or the relationship suffers, you know, something suffers. But I've met people that seem to have a better time managing it all. Um, perhaps it's a matter of perspective, but uh, we'll save that uh, rabbit hole for another time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's ever uh, an age where you're too old, you know? I mean, if it's an outlet for you and it serves as some kind of release, especially, no. But, you know, you have to be realistic too. Like if you're in your... I don't know, it doesn't even matter what age you are, but if you're at an age where you have this full-time job, let's say, doing something else, and you also have a family and kids or whatever, if you have a lot of other responsibilities, you know, you might not have the time to pursue drums in the way that someone like me does, you know, and, and that's okay. It's not bad. That's not, that doesn't mean you should stop, you know, you just have to be realistic about your goals and realistic about what you get out of it you know even if you only if you're in a situation like that and you only have one day a week to play drums uh, it doesn't matter you know what age you are and and it's like if you enjoy it in that one day if it's a release for you regardless of how old you are or how good you are then it definitely doesn't matter you know um, so you just have to weigh what it is that you want against other stuff and what you get out of it. Um, it's never, never too late. You're never too old to play drums. Um, yeah, man. So I hope that answers your question, but, um, it's kind of a vague question to try and answer, but I gave it a shot. So, um, let's see. Uh, I will end on, uh, these last two questions. Cause I think they're a little shorter. Aaron Creamer writes, what would it take to get a drum head from you? Uh, if you mean like a signed drum head, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll send you one. I'll, you know, uh, how about this bro? 25 bucks and you cover shipping as well. And I'll sign a used drum head and send it your way, brother. Um, yeah, if you want, I used to sell signed drum heads like on my website. And then at some point later I was like, that seems kind of gimmicky and lame. I don't even know if it actually was, but, um, you know, on tour, I will, sell the used signed drum heads. Um, and a lot of the time on tour, uh, Whitechapel will sell them at least with them. The band sells them and keeps the money from it. Um, but they also buy the heads for tour. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, they take care of those kinds of expenses for me. Like they, they buy the heads that I would use on tour. So therefore they have the right to sell them and keep it as band fund as they should. Um, but, you know, on tour, I always have them for sale or they're always for sale at merch stands and stuff like that. I really like how Ben from Whitechapel does it, though. He uh, 
he does the drawing on them a lot of the time. Like he'll draw something cool. He's a pretty good uh, artist. So he usually designs something Whitechapel related and draws it on the head and then everybody signs it too. I think it's really cool. Um, but yeah, if you want one, Mr. Aaron, uh, yeah, man, shoot me an email. I'll, I'll hook you up. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, this will be the last question for today and then I'll do a part two of this in the next few days and answer some more. But cause goddamn, I got a lot more questions than this. I don't even, I don't even know. Like, let me see how many more there are. God damn, dude. This is like the third or fourth screenshotting experience, like, or third or fourth screenshot I did. And there are like 16. So I barely got through a fourth of these. Oh my God. Oh man. That's okay. It's been fun. I feel like, you know, I went off on some really long rants on this one, but I kind of like that. And, uh, there were a couple little bits we talked about, uh, I talked about some stuff, uh, that I didn't really expect to like the stuff I mentioned about Evan. Uh, I think that stuff is stuff that means a lot to me. So I'm glad I get to share it with you guys and hopefully you enjoy and appreciate it. So even though I'm not answering, you know, all the questions in this podcast episode. I hope you guys are still enjoying it. Um, but anyway, this last question, you have a bunch of SLP snares. That's the Tama snare drum line, but do you have any star phonics, which is another, uh, Tama line that is from in car N K A R A S H E H. I don't know how to say that, but, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the name distracted me. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I have a lot of SLP snares. Um, I, I do have one Starphonic snare. I have a Starphonic brass and it's cool. Um, most of the Starphonic snares are 14 by six. They're six inch depths. I know they make some others, but a lot of them are the six inch depths and I prefer six and a half. Um, you know, and occasionally like, I like other drums too, that aren't, aren't even as deep as either of those, but more often than not six and a half or, or deeper is, is what I like. Um, but the, you know, because of that, I haven't ever tried that many others, but additionally, uh, the one thing I've had a hard time with, with the, uh, Starphonic snares is the hoops. Um, I love the idea of those claw hook hoops, but I've had Tama send me replacements a couple times and, you know, with those hoops, I always end up denting them. I, I just dent the shit out of them, um, you know, because I hit too hard, I guess. And, uh, you know, it just dents the hoop and then it's kind of ruined and starts to feel really weird if it gets too dented. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man, those hoops are weird. You know, for anyone wondering, the hoops, like the tension rods don't go directly through the hoops. They're like these little hook things. It's kind of more like a bass drum hoop, you know, but for a snare drum, uh, and made out of metal, not wood. But yeah, I mean, uh, and I have put regular hoops, like regular die cast hoops on a couple of my, or on my Starphonic snare, but they also fit on it kind of awkwardly because of the lugs. Um, they don't, you know, normal hoops don't fit quite right. It feels like you're forcing it. Um, so I eventually just put back my, uh, regular, the, the hoops that come with it on it or the latest set Tama had sent me and kind of retired it. Um, not entirely though. I do think I'll use it still again, but, uh, in particular, the 14 by six is just not, uh, the 14 by six brass. It's not one of my favorites. I did however, use a 14 by six Starphonic bell brass. Uh, well, I guess, 
I said brass as if brass was the word that changed, but the bell brass, not the regular brass, uh, was incredible. Tama had one at their uh, facility in California, and I flew out to L.A. uh, right about a year ago now. I still can't tell you guys what album that was for, but we used a Starphonic bell brass on that album, and it sounded phenomenal. So I'd love to get one of those, but uh, holy shit, they're expensive. And I already have a Bell Brass as well as a couple Bell, Bra- Bell Brass clones. And uh, I'm probably going to buy another one at some point. But uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I'm just not super into the hoops and therefore I've kind of avoided them. Um, but they do make some phenomenal ones for sure. I used one when I was out at Drumeo too, I'm pretty sure. And that was like a Starphonic steel drum of some kind. Um, I remember really liking that snare actually. I feel like it didn't sound super good in the videos, but it was still a fun snare drum to play on. It was pleasing to hit. Um, so yeah, that answers that Starphonic question. Um, and yeah, guys, this is already a long ass episode, so I'm going to call it. Um, in fact, I bought some Kava. Uh, I'm so glad Frederick, Maryland has a goddamn Kava now. I love Kava. If you don't live in an area where there's a Kava, I'm sorry for you, but it's really good. It's just like, it's kind of like a Chipotle style place, but like Mediterranean sort of. Um, but yeah, we have one where I live the last year and a half or so, and I've enjoyed it a lot, but I picked some of that up and I wasn't that hungry yet. So I figured I would do this podcast episode first. Uh, but now I am quite hungry. So I'm going to go enjoy my kava and, uh, yeah, I'll do a part two to this, uh, you know, asking questions episode, uh, in the coming days or something. But, uh, Yeah, to anyone's question that I haven't gotten to yet, I'll try to get to it in the next one. And to anyone's that I did answer, I hope that you enjoyed and I hope that you all enjoyed in general anyway. And uh, I'm always really bad at ending these things, so I will just say goodbye and thank you for listening. As always, I'm posting a new drum video up later this week as well again, so uh, be on the lookout for that too. And yeah. All right, guys, much love. I will talk to you very soon and have a good night or morning or day, wherever you are. Peace out.